we abide in him, he brings forth these things. It is a spiritual work that God does. Um, every Christian, uh, having been grafted into the vine, your relationship with Christ produces a desire to read your Bible, witness to the lost, become a fruitful uh, and uh, Christian for Christ. Believers are nourished by Christ himself. As you grow in Christ, your root system becomes stronger and your Christian life becomes more fruitful. Um, you know, we're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That sustenance, you know, we have at the new property over there, we have 1,050 trees that we planted. And some of those trees are probably, we planted them as saplings, literally a little thing in a bag with, a, with a, you know, the root thing in a bag. We planted them initially in saplings in 2015. Some of them are 30 foot tall trees now. How did that happen? Well, I can tell you the reason that they grow so well is that we planted them actually in the floodplain, the 100-year floodplain of the property. So the whole flood, you take the, the geotech map and overlay it, and you'll see the line of the floodplain that, you know, you know in 100 years, there's a possibility that sometime it's going to flood. We put it, we followed that line. And that means all of the moisture and water from the property runs towards that edge of the property and typically, that area is pretty soft. One, one day, I was coming home, and you know how Shawang Road gets backed up, right? It's all backed up. And this is back when I had my Toyota Sienna. And uh, the road was all backed up, and I'm waiting in line, waiting in line. I've just got to get to the property, right? I'm waiting in line. And uh, finally, we reached the edge of the property. I'm like, well, this is my yard. So <laughs> I just turned off the road and drove through the yard. Uh, the problem is, is this is before we planted the trees, and... I sank to the axles in my Toyota Sienna. Like the yard on that part was so soft, so mushy. Now my Sienna was all-wheel drive, and I just floored it. And I got out, but I left roots, like <laughs> ruts in the yard, like that deep, about 40, 50 feet long. I was throwing mud everywhere. And, of course, all those people in the line were sitting there watching me like, look at that idiot. <laughs> But what I'm saying is that water that was in that section of the yard is what causes those trees to grow so much. And if you in your life would get planted in Jesus Christ, would abide in him, have that spiritual walk, the fruit of the spirit would begin to grow and be manifest in your life. It's just something that's going to happen if you would do that. As believers are nourished by Christ, Christians enable, uh, Christ sorry, enables Christians to bear fruit. It's only when you develop your walk with the Lord and learn to live by faith that you begin to or can produce fruit. You know that you're, uh, through growth, fruit is produced, and only a mature tree is able to see fruit. Um, you know, those young trees, they plant them, and they take a little while. You plant a little apple tree, it's a little while before it starts to produce apples. And they've got to tend to it and prune it back, and, and then it, it starts to produce. And as they prune it and feed it, it can produce, they, they can get an unbelievable amount of apples and fruit out of a tree that's been cared for and been trimmed and maintained correctly. Uh, so much so that actually the limbs are almost like they're ready to break. There's so much fruit hanging on the limbs. Uh, our neighbor right over here, Bobby Bush, uh, has a peach tree in his backyard, and he had a limb just a few weeks ago uh, that had so many peaches on it. Uh, he came out one morning, and the whole limb was laying on the ground. It just broke the limb off of the tree. And, uh, you know, he's like, well, I hate to lose all those peaches. He said, but 
maybe that'll keep the, the bees and the other animals from getting the ones that are still in the trees. Like, I'm going to leave them on the ground and see if that'll keep them from getting the others. But, you know, those fruit-bearing Christians uh, should be like that. The more we abide and rest in Christ, uh, the more fruit that we will see. The Lord purges believers so that they can bring forth more fruit, so that we can bring forth more fruit. We don't like to be purged. We don't like things cut away. We don't like things that in our life we say, oh, you know, that, that hurts. I don't like that. But really, that produces more fruit in our life. If we're willing to let the Lord say, okay, you can take care of that. You can cut that away. That, that doesn't need to be part of my life. I understand that. And if we're willing to go through that, it will produce more fruit in our lives. It makes us more profitable for the kingdom of heaven, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and really for our time here on earth. I mean, ponder and think about the idea ultimately. I mean, what is the big question people ask? Why am I here? What am I here on earth for? What, what is the purpose of it all? Is it just so that I can work a job and get some money and buy some toys? And, and is this what, what it's all about? No, ultimately we find and fulfill our purpose in Jesus Christ, knowing that he has saved us for a purpose. So if we're not bearing fruit, we looked at this last week. The Lord says, hey, the fruit, the, the tree that's not bearing fruit, he's going to cut it down. If we're not fulfilling God's purpose for our life, accomplishing his will, then why are we here? We're, Christian, we're not here just to work a job. We're not here just to uh, get through our days and be able to make it to Friday so we can enjoy a relaxing weekend or make it to vacation so we can get away for a little while. We're not just enduring life. No, God has a purpose for our life, a plan for our life. And we want to strive to fulfill that. And that ultimately comes from bearing fruit, the more fruit we can. Abiding in Christ enables a believer to bring forth much fruit. You can study the passage on this. I think we looked at it briefly last week in the different levels of fruit that are, are the Christians develop. Some bring forth a little fruit. Some people bring more. And there's a progression in the Christian life. As you grow, you bring forth some fruit. Then you bring forth more fruit. Then you bring forth much fruit. And that should be our goal and desire as a Christian to be bringing forth much fruit. So we see those things. You know, John fifteen eight says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit fruit, so shall you be my disciples, that you bear much fruit. It's God's desire that we bear much fruit. You know, I've often thought about how, and I've shared this with many people, to me it doesn't seem fair that I get paid to do what all Christians really are called of God to do. I mean, I have the privilege of being called into full-time Christian service, and, and I get paid to be a witness I get paid to do what God wants me to do with my life. To me, it almost seems like it's not fair because the majority of you here in this room, you have to go work a job to earn enough money to live, but you still have to fulfill God's will for your life. You still have to do what God wants you to do, and that's being a witness where you're at and being a faithful Christian and, and all of that. And so I, I just sometimes I look at it and say, what a privilege as, as a full-time Christian servant to all, all of us have to fulfill God's will. That should be our purpose in life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's our first ambition in life. Other things we have to do, they're just a means to an end. And, uh, man, I, I feel for you. Oftentimes, I think about times that the Lord put me back into the workforce, and I think it was specifically really just because so I would know what you guys go through. So that I would know what it's like to have to get out of bed at 4.30 in the morning and be on the road to drive to work 
be at work all day, come home and change, and then go to go, go, get ready and go to church. I know on a Thursday night when you come in here tired, I understand. The Lord put me through it so I could have a little more grace with, with God's people. So I understand what you guys are going through and what you're enduring uh, every week out in the workforce. Not just the work you do, but the environment that some of you have to work in is so hard. Just the, the filthy conversations and the things you endure and deal with. I remember Bo, uh, I can't imagine, he's got to be on cloud nine uh, just being around Christians all the time now. Uh, he texted me last Sunday, right in, right in the middle of Sunday school. He texts me and says, Pastor, I sure miss Hunt Valley, you know. Uh, but I just thinking, because he, he and I had many conversations. He's like, how do you maintain a Christian life in this world? You know, he's just been saved a few months. And he says, I don't want to hear this stuff. But people at work coming up to me all the time, talking to me about this and saying these things to me. And, and just the battle that you deal with out there. And man, we need God's help. Amen. We need God's help. I know that. But we still have a responsibility. Um, so God's glorified when we as Christians are bearing fruit. And that fruit, obviously, part of it we're talking about here, about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we don't have time this morning to really dive into these. We've taught entire lessons on these things in the past. But uh, you have these fruit that should be uh, manifest in your life. There's uh, a you know, a conversation people talk about that this is all one, it's all one fruit, bear you the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruits, and so you should have them all evident. But I believe that some people are maybe a little bit more gifted in some areas than others, but they should all be present in our life. You can't just say, well, I'm just not a very gentle person. I'm a jerk, and that's who I am, and so you just need to learn to live with it. No, we need to, turn, we need to be like Christ, this fruit should be coming as evidence in our life. You know, well, I'm just not very loving. Well, if you're in Christ, that's going to start to change a little bit. There's gonna, you're going to start being more like Christ. And so we want to be that. These things should be evident in our life. Love. Love is foundational for the Christian life. If you, don't, if, 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 if you have any question about that, listen to the series that I taught on Thursday nights where we went to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I really cannot believe how focused John was in those three things and how foundational love is to the Christian life. And uh, there's a lot of truths in there concerning love that you'll want to get to. There of course, available on Sermon Audio, but it's foundational. Uh, Joy, joy, this is functional for the Christian life. Christians should have joy. We sang about it this morning. We should have joy, and it shouldn't necessarily, your joy shouldn't necessarily be dependent upon the weather outside. Peace. Peace is favorable uh, in the Christian life. It's a desired alternative for the Christian, having peace. Not just peace with God. We praise the Lord for that, that we can have peace with God, that our sins are forgiven, and we're on our way to heaven. There's nothing between us and the Savior, that we're no longer under the wrath of God. We've got peace with God. Amen. Amen. That Praise the Lord for that. But not only do we have the peace with God, we have the peace of God that passeth all understanding, that peace that's present in the most terrible storms. But we also have something that carries off to other people, and that is peace with other people. The Bible says that he will make your enemies to be at peace with you. So he'll bring that peace in your life in so many ways. Everywhere that Jesus Christ went, peace was manifest. If you don't have much peace in your life, boy, I feel for you. Sometimes the, the struggles and the turmoils, the, the world that we live in today, it is so 
normal, and it shouldn't be, but it's so normal for families to be struggling, to have chaos, to be in turmoil. They think that's the way the family should be. But it shouldn't be that way. Your home should be a place of peace. And uh, you should have that respite, that, that opportunity to be away from the world. And, and God wants to do that for you. I don't know everybody's home here, but I would implore you, encourage you to let God do that and bring peace in your home. If, you're, if your home's a place of turmoil, uh, beg God and start functioning inside of a biblical scope of activities in your home, and God will bring that peace. Long-suffering, patience with one another. This is forbearing, forbearing one another. Patience, uh, forbearing does not lose hope. Uh, You don't lose your temper. Gentleness. Gentleness is a kindness of the heart. It is a spirit of the heart, an attitude of the heart that's present in our life. And you can read these other descriptions that are here as you have have time and would like to. Goodness. Goodness is something that comes from God. This is not an attitude of the heart. You take the attitude of the heart, this gentleness, and now the goodness is an action of the hand. It goes beyond just, well, I'm a gentle person, but now, you know, to him that knoweth you good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, goodness, that goodness towards others, it's an action of the hand, something that we're, we do for others. And uh, it just comes from God, just being good. Uh, I know we've all had people in our lives that, you know, you would sum it up that way. And he's just a good man. He's just a good lady. I mean, just... Just a good person. You know, you just look at them and just say, man, uh, God's done a work in their life. They're just a good person. So privileged to, to know them or call them friend, you know. And uh, we all can be that person. Faith, we know that without faith, it is impossible to please him. Um, faith really is manifested in faithfulness. A, a lot of times people look at faith and they think, oh, it's such a hard thing. Like, I know I'm supposed to have faith. Like, what does that mean? Is faith just something that... Like, can I step out on the water? Could, would, I, would I do that? Well, let me ask you, are you faithful to church? That's faith in action. Are you, are you, you see, God says, do this, and faith says, okay, and takes that step. That is faith in action. You say, well, do I have much faith? How obedient are you? Because obedience is faith in action. You know, many times... Uh, <laughs> I feel bad for my kids because I use them for illustrations all the time. But, you know, your kids, you, uh, you, you tell them to do something. And sometimes, you know, kids are like, you know, what's the question they start asking? Why? Why? Don't worry about why. <laughs> just do it, right? Uh, just why? You don't need to understand why. You just need to obey. And you do it and I'll show you or you'll understand why. And see... They just need to have faith that dad and mom have a purpose, they have a reason, there's a, there's a uh, motive behind what we're saying, and, and maybe we don't have time to explain it right now. Uh, and I'd encourage you as parents, the younger your kids are, they just need to do it. You don't need to have a conversation and explain everything to them. They just need to obey because you said so. But you also need to build a relationship with your children, and there's a transition that takes place in a child's life where they obey because... Uh, on this hand, you're a lot bigger than them. But by the time they get up here, they obey because you have influence in their life. And if there's not a transition somewhere in here where obedience here is motivated because they're going to get disciplined, you're bigger than them. The day's going to come when you're not bigger than them. Then what? 
So you, you're, you're, the obedience has to be transferred from obedience here out of, out of fear to obedience here out of love. And that comes by building a relationship and winning the heart of your child. You have to do that over time. And so that, that's when you start communicating and start teaching them. And uh, that was free. I don't know how I got off on that. But uh, we need to be faithful. Uh, meekness, that is the attitude of a servant, being meek. Uh, humility, of course, you know, meekness is power under control. Uh, and temperance. Man, how important temperance is in the Christian life. Just being in self-control. One of the hardest things for people to do sometimes is just being in self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, slowly being formed in your life. There's a uh, question and answer thing there. You look at the love, joy, peace. Are these, you can check those off or, or scale it 1 to 10. Think about areas you need to grow. Um, then fruit of, a save, of saving souls. The tragedy of the Christian life is that Christ, many Christians have never won a soul to Christ. Many do not even know how to be a witness to others. And have made no effort to win a soul. This strategy can be remedied because it's easy to do. Uh, well, I would say it's easy to say, uh, and in practicality, it, it's really not that difficult. But because we're fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil, there are hindrances to being a good witness. And so you have to fight against that. But anybody can be a witness. You say, oh, well, there, some people are just gifted that way. They're just good at it. And it's just neat. They can do that. And I'm just not really that kind of purpose person. No, we all need to be witnesses. Some people are more gifted. They're more outgoing. They can talk to anybody. They never knew a stranger in their life. And you're still strangers from your family. Okay, that, there's big different personalities. I understand that. But we can all be a witness somehow uh, in and through the power of God. So witness, witnessing uh, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ is a natural outflowing of your relationship with him. If you love him, you will want to speak of him. Uh, you just try and get a young man or a young lady who are in the throngs of love, uh, you know, about ready to embark upon a life together. Get them to be quiet about the other one. I mean, you know, have a conversation where they're not brought up. Uh, you know, that kind of a thing. There's love there. It's overflowing. It's something they're talking about. Well, he said this, or, well, she said that, or, you know, just, it, it's, it's just, it comes into every conversation somehow. How in the world does that happen? Because their heart's overflowing with love. And when we love Christ that way, it's going to come up. It's just going to come up. Uh, Acts, I think it's the book of Acts. You tell me if I'm wrong. It says, you cannot help but speak the things which thou hast seen and heard. I think it's in the book of Acts. It says that. The things that you're thinking about, the things that you're reading, if you've been reading the word of God, if you've been spending time in prayer, you've been spending time walking with the Lord, that's going to come up in your conversation. Uh, we have worked hard here uh, over the years with our devotional series that we've done and our devotional that we send out, and we had everybody on the same devotional program for a long time. The, the goal, the motivation was for us to be able to, in the foyer, instead of just having conversations about how hot it is today or about the ball game last night, uh, the motivation is that we would have conversations about the devotional reading about the passage we read last night. Because if we're all doing the same one, you know, you say, hey, did, did, did you read John chapter 3 today? Oh, man, what did you get out of that? Oh, I saw this verse, and that meant a lot to me. So what we're reading, what we're taking in, is going to naturally be coming out, and we'll be communicating with others about that. A witness is someone who tells what they know. Okay, this is key, what they know. Knowing Christ and what he has done for you and what he is doing at this present time in your life. 
So there's several things there. First of all, who or why would anybody that does not know for sure that they're saved and on their way to heaven, why would they try and tell somebody else? They wouldn't. For them themselves, they're questioning. They're wondering. They're not even sure if they believe it. So they're certainly not going to try and tell other people. So it's something you need to have settled in your heart. First of all, you need to know that you know without a question that nobody can make you doubt it. You know you're saved. You know Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sin. You know when it happened. You don't have to know the day. You don't have to know it was on October 14th at 221 in you know, the afternoon in 1973 or whatever. Is that when it happened for you? No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, just barely, right? Uh, so what I, you just, you don't have to know that, but you ought to know in your mind's eye, in your heart, you can remember where you were or who you were talking to or something about the place. And, and there should be no question, you know, that you put your faith and trust in Christ. Because without that, you don't have the confidence to tell somebody else how they can know. You're telling them you can know, but in your heart you're saying, I'm not even sure I know. Uh, So that's foundational. If you're going to be a witness, you need to know. And then really it's just a matter of sharing what God has done in your heart. Present time, telling your testimony. You know, I think about the blind man. He says, I can't answer all these theological questions. I can't solve this debate for you, but here's what I know. I know that I was blind and now I see. So for me, that's an undeniable change in my life. I saw that happen. And if that happened for you, you can tell people in your life, this is what happened to me. I I don't have all of the verses down and I can't walk you through the Romans road or deal with you from a religious standpoint. But I can tell you that Jesus Christ changed my life. And here's what happened. I realized I was a sinner. You can walk through that and just give your testimony. Um. Witnessing is not merely a set time or place, rather it is sharing with others as we conduct our normal affairs of life. Our normal affairs of life. It's just being a witness. As you go out and you, you, you're just throughout your life, just whatever you're dealing with, whoever you're talking to, wherever you're being engaged, uh, being a witness. Every opportunity that you can as the Lord brings people by. And you know what? If, if the Lord knows that you're going to witness, the Lord will bring people by. If you haven't talked to anybody about the Lord or said the name of the Lord in front of somebody, uh, you know, if you're standing in, in line and uh, people say something about, you know, man, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? And you say, yeah, it is. Thank the Lord for that. You know, they look at you weird. They're like, what? You know, but just something small like that lets them know right off that you're a Christian, that you attribute these gifts of a beautiful day to your heavenly father. And, and it's a witness. But what I'm saying is if you don't ever talk about the Lord or try to be a witness, why would God bring a lost sinner who's ready to come up and say, what must I do to be saved? Why would he bring him to you if you never share the gospel with anybody? We need to be a witness that the Lord knows if he brings somebody by, you're going to witness to him. And he will open the opportunity. He will bring people to you that are hungry and looking for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and ready to be saved Uh, A good church will also provide opportunities, and we are obviously a good church, which is why you're here this morning. Amen? There's many opportunities uh, through the ministries of the church here to be a witness, to uh, tell others about Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse number 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe unto me. I mean, listen, we're in trouble if it's not a, a heart passion of ours. I mean, you know, we look at that and say, well, that's the man of God. That's the preacher. And, and, of course, the preacher should be that way. But what I'm saying is all Christians should be that way. 
We should all have a desire to reach the lost world. This Isaiah 6, verse 6 through 8. Just look at the last phrase here. He says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Uh, You know, too many people uh, are unwilling. I mean, you know how I told you the other night about a Christian school and the Lord would have to beat me over the head with a two by four to get me to start a Christian school? I think that's how most people are about Christian service at all. Like, well, God hasn't called me yet, so I'm not going to do it. Here's the idea is, Lord, if you can use me in any way, I want to be used. Lord, send me. Lord, let me. Let me do it. Lord, I want to do it. If you can use somebody as tongue-tied and as twisted as me, if you can use somebody who has the the, the, uh, limited skill and capacity that I have, God, I want to do it. I want to be used of you to be a witness. I want to reach people. And, and God will do it. But it starts with the heart desire. Do you want, do you want to do it? Man, as a church here, uh, we could have a second bus route if we had, if we had workers to do it. If we had people to run it. Uh, you know, I, for a couple of years, I've been wanting to start another, Bible, another backyard Bible club uh, up in Reisterstown. We need people to run it. I would love to start a prison ministry, get people going to prison. But we need people to run it. We need people to work it. Uh, for years, I've wanted to have a uh, Spanish ministry here in the church. There's so many Spanish people we come across and try and reach in the, in the, uh, out in uh, the bus area there. And uh, we just don't. I mean, I've had many families tell me, if you guys had a Spanish ministry or something, I would I'd be at your church right now. Uh, you know, just need people to work it. Need people willing to be faithful uh, to do it. Uh, I've talked to Miss Trudy about a, a, a ministry to the deaf. Uh, we'd love to have a ministry where we're reaching, reaching deaf people. Uh, there, there's so many areas that we can put lines out and, and be reaching more and more people, but it takes people willing to, to work and be faithful and serve in a ministry. So four steps to becoming a soul winner here. Uh, there's step one is learn how. Step two, set a time. Step three, be soul conscious. Step four, make it a habit. So learning how. Say, well, how do I learn how? There's lots of, we've had lots of lessons here on on how to sow in practical, systematic things. I mean, all the way down to, hey, take a breath mint with you, okay? You can be very offensive. You're talking to somebody and your halitosis is out of control, okay? Uh, So, I mean, I'm talking about very practical tools to be a witness. We've gone through that. Those lessons are available here. We've had uh, four or five week Sunday school classes just on that, where we taught each week practical things on being a soul winner, they're available. There's books in the bookstore on how to be a soul winner that walk you through the steps. There's so many resources available to you today. If you desire or want to learn, not the least of which, you can just show up for soul winning, go as a silent partner, be with somebody else that knows how to do it, and just watch them and talk about it and learn uh, the steps. But you can learn how. You obviously aren't going to be a very effective soul winner if you haven't learned anything about reaching. It starts by just giving your testimony, but you should start to learn what you can. Then set a time. Set a time to be a soul winner, to be a witness. Say, okay, I want to reach my family. Okay, when are you going to do that? Well, someday. That someday you've been talking about for a long time. Set a time. Okay, this Thanksgiving. It's not that far away. I'm going to be with my family. Here's what I'm going to do. And you are going to be nervous for six weeks until Thanksgiving comes, because you know you're going to talk to them. But listen, if you said it and you start praying about it, 
God will give you an even greater desire and God will start preparing their heart and may open the door and you can see that. But if you don't ever set a time, you say, well, someday I'm going to do it. No, set a time. I'm going to reach my family. I'm going to, I'm going to witness to my neighbor. When? Well, I mean, someday when he comes up and says, what must I do to be saved? I'm going to tell him. No, someday well, I'm going to witness to my neighbor. When? Set a time. There's opportunities and times weekly to be a, a witness here, to go out and go be a soul winner or to present the gospel or leave the gospel out. Uh, become soul conscious. The idea of seeing the fields that are white under harvest, looking out and saying, man, uh, this world is lost without Jesus Christ. They need a witness and I need to be witnessing to them. Becoming soul conscious and then make it a habit of your life that it just is something that you do on a regular basis that you are soul conscious and you're aware and you're, you're being a witness on a regular basis. So what can you do? Here's a list of things. Witness to your friend, witness to your family, witness to coworkers, uh, witness uh, through the ministries of the church. Distribute tracts out to people you don't even know, just in the grocery store, or gas station, whatever. Uh, put them in your bills as you're as you're sending your bills in. If you do, most people don't even do paper bills anymore. Mary loves paper. She does not like anything digital. She still wants it in her hand, you know. So we get all of our bills in the mail. Some of you are like, I agree. <laughs> so she wants to send it in. That way she knows it happened. And uh, because she handles it, I don't care. That's I'm fine with me. You know, <laughs> get, it, get it in paper if you want, as long as you're going to take care of it. And so she does it. In my life, everything would be on auto pay because uh, I'm not going to keep track of it. I got other things to think about. But uh, she does that, so send in a track with it, and she does faithfully send in tracks. I don't know if it's the same person that opens those every time, but uh, they're probably getting sick of getting those uh, gospel tracks. But send them. You never know what the Lord will do. Invite someone to church. Uh, invite somebody over to your house. Uh, just being a friend. You know uh, the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, just being a friend to people. You can't expect to be a very effective witness to your neighbor if you haven't said two words to them in five years. You know, all of a sudden on Saturday you show up and, hey, I'm here to tell you about Jesus and the love of Christ. <laughs> uh, you know, just being a friend. Just be available. And uh, that, that starts planting the seed. But at some point you've got to open your mouth as well. You know, C.T. Studd said, some wish to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. What he's saying is many people, they, they love being at church. They love being in the atmosphere of church. And boy, I want to be around all of this. But he's saying, I want to be around people that need Jesus. I want to be a witness. That saying, which he's known for, um, C.T. Studd in, 17, I'm sorry, in 1878, uh, a visiting preacher asked this young man if he was a Christian. Within a few minutes, C.T. knelt down and thanked God. Uh, having trusted him as his Lord and Savior. Peace and joy flooded his soul. Unfortunately, he did not become a faithful witness. He did not share his faith with others. As a consequence, uh, it, by his own testimony, he said he became very cold. Uh, for six years, he lived a life which he described as backslidden and cold. He said the love of the world crept in instead of the love for Christ. Part of being on fire for God really is in this idea of fruit-bearing. There is no greater joy that you'll have as a Christian than sharing your faith and seeing someone come to Christ. C.T. Sud said this. He went in 1883, he went to hear Dwight L. Moody speak. His soul was stirred afresh and immediately he began to tell others about Christ. He later described that he had, as a young man, tasted all the pleasures of the world, but none of them 
came close to touching the pleasure that he felt when he brought his first soul to Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, if you have never experienced that privilege of being used to God to bring somebody to Jesus Christ, I would implore you to start getting a passion for souls and seeking and learning what you can and preparing that God will open the door. You can be a witness and you'll see somebody saved. I've stood in this, in this aisle right here with more than one person from our church with tears in their eyes saying, I, I led somebody to Christ this week. I just was standing at Sam's Club waiting on my wife. Some guy came up and we started talking. You know, 20 minutes later, he bowed his head and trusted Christ. And it just the joy of being used. But you've got to be so conscious. You've got to be ready to be a witness. So uh, the fruit of your children, I'm going to have to fly through this because we don't have much time here. But listen, I'll tell you what, Christian, if we just raised our kids for God, we could turn the world upside down. It really is so sad how the world, the devil, gets so many of our children. And uh, listen, I do not mean to be hurtful to anybody. I know that there are people in our church who have a wayward son and they're praying for their kids to come back to God. And, and uh, I understand that. But I'm just imploring you, listen, the fruit of our children is so vital. We, what is the biblical reasons we have children is to bring them to salvation, 1 Timothy 2.4. Uh, to continue a godly heritage, to continue on that godly heritage. Listen, who's going to take your place? Who's going to fill your shoes? Who's going to teach your Sunday school or run your ministry or uh, clean the bathrooms or play the organ? Who's going to do the things that you do at church when you are no longer able to do them? Hopefully, we'll raise up the next generation that they can start doing those things. That is fruit. That's added to your account. That godly heritage to prepare leaders uh, for the next generation for Samuel 1.11. We don't have time to read all these scriptures, but to fulfill God's command to be fruitful and multiply. the uh, multiply. We know that Genesis 1.28, that's what he wants us to do. The method of teaching godly traits is twofold. You guys still with me? All right, I know we're moving pretty quick through this. We're, we're, first of all, is modeling Christian qualities before them in your life. Obviously, your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You, it does not work to tell kids, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Um, you, you've got to model the Christian life. That's the number one thing. I can't tell you how many Christians, have, how many young people uh, have said, boy, you know, my dad, my mom, they come in here and act all spiritual and, and pretend like they love the Lord. But if you knew them, if you knew what they're like for real, if you knew what they did, you wouldn't be thinking they're such a good Christian. And listen, none of us are perfect. We're all sinners saved by grace. You don't have to be perfect. You don't even have to be perfect before your children. They know you're not perfect, but you do need to be real. You do need to be real. You just need to uh, confess and forsake your sin. Change the ch- children ought to see changes in your life. They ought to see growth in your life. Uh, model that Christian life before them. That's of utmost importance. And then teaching them, teaching them uh, that you, you need to express it. Teach them how to be a Christian and what it means and the decisions that they're making. We must remember that children are like arrows that need to be aimed and directed towards a, char- a, a target. We need to aim them, direct them, point them where. And there's so much teaching that I want to run down right here, but I've got two minutes. I need to close. So Christians who enjoy serving the Lord and include their children in the ministry will greatly enhance their children's desire to serve the Lord. 
so it'll greatly enhance the children's desire to serve the Lord. Just ser- serving the Lord together. Bring your kids along with you. Uh, it, and, and make it fun. You know, kids will get excited about picking trash up out of the parking lot if you're excited about it. You can get kids all happy about anything if you're happy about it. But if you come to church with a man, why I got to do this every week is so dumb. Why do people leave their trash in the floor? And boy, don't these people ever clean up after themselves? And you're all bitter and and grumbling about the work you got to do for the Lord. What do you think your kids are going to be like? That's what they're going to They're not going to go home with a spirit of, boy, I want to do this someday. No, they're going to look to get out of it as soon as they can. So the spirit that you have is, is vitally important. Um, let's see. There's a couple here things down in the conclusion. If you want to run down there, I'll give you these. You guys can read through this. So all the way to the last conclusion here. First, there is conviction of spirit. That we're talking about uh, the Christian journey and your walk in your Christian life. You need conviction of spirit. Secondly, there's composure of mind. None of these things move me. I wish I had time to teach on this stuff. Composure of mind. None of just being settled in your heart and mind and what, what you know is right and you're going to do that. Thirdly, there is commitment of heart. Neither account on myself, dear unto myself. How committed are you to the cause of Christ? What, is it, what does it take to get you to quit? Oh, anything. Uh, and fourthly, there is consistency of purpose. Just being consistent. I can't overemphasize the importance of being consistent as a Christian. Uh, just being consistent. That will go the greatest impact on others and on your children is if you're just consistent, being a consistent person. Uh, that'll help a lot. All right, let's close in prayer.